Welcome to Public Health Out Loud, public health for the public. Hi, I'm Dr. Jim McDonald, Interim Director of the Rhode Island Department of Health. And I'm Dr. Phil Chan. Welcome, everyone. Dr. Chan, we are at it again. Another episode of Public Health Out Loud, our podcast. It's funny, in the last week, I've heard more about our podcast from people uh, than ever before. So it's possible this is getting popular. Um, and, you know, uh, much to my surprise, I should say, I guess, after a year and change of doing this, it seems like it's catching on. So today we're talking to Dr. Jennifer Nuzo. Welcome, Dr. Nuzo. Thank you so much. It's such a thrill to be joining you. Well, we're glad to have you. Why don't you tell us a little bit about who Dr. Jennifer Nuzo is and what do you do? I am a new faculty member at the Brown School of Public Health. I'm an epidemiologist by training, and I spent a number of years at Johns Hopkins University at the School of Public Health there. I've been working on pandemic preparedness issues for about 20 years. Prior to that, I was an epidemiologist in New York City, and I'm really thrilled to be joining Brown School of Public Health because we're going to be starting a pandemic center at the school to try to build on all of the lessons learned from COVID-19 and to make sure that we are better prepared um, for the next event. Dr. Nuzo, welcome to Public Health Out Loud here and welcome to Rhode Island in general. We're thrilled to have you leading our Pandemic Preparedness and Response Center at the Brown University School of Public Health. Thrilled you're here and thank you for joining us today. Let me ask you this, pandemic preparedness. Now, Dr. McDonald, I mean, we've been involved in this since the beginning. I mean, we were nowhere near prepared to the pandemic. We were not, we were not prepared. You know, I so, think you and I have talked about this, Dr. Chen. This nation was not caught with its pants down. This nation was caught without wearing pants. There you go. And so I guess my question to you, Dr. Nuzo, when we talk about pandemic preparedness, what does that mean exactly? Obviously, it means being prepared for the pandemic, but what does that really mean? What does that look like? What are the things exactly that you're preparing for? First of all, when we talk about pandemics, it is going to be different depending on what pathogen emerges and spreads. But I think a general premise that we should all just plan for is that more pathogens are emerging and they risk the possibility of of spreading globally. So I know some people look at COVID-19 and think that was terrible, um, but we don't have to deal with it for another 100 years because sometimes it's called the 100-year threat, um, probably because of some similarities it's had to the 1918 influenza pandemic. But unfortunately, data tell us otherwise, basically that new pathogens are constantly emerging. They don't all go on to become pandemics, but they like could. Like monkeypox, like monkeypox, exactly, right? Exactly. We are going to keep hearing more and more about these new things. And you know they may not all um, go on to become a global pandemic, but they very well could. And we have to prepare for the possibility that they could. So in terms of being prepared, obviously what we're going to have to do may depend a bit on what particular pathogen it is, but there's some commonalities that we have to be prepared for. One is that uh, I think we've learned, we have to learn how to kind of slow the spread within our communities and make sure that people have the tools and the information and the ability to be able to do that. We also have to prepare for the fact that hospitals are likely going to see a surge of patients and making sure they have all the tools to be able to do that. And then make sure that we have policies that enable all these things to happen, that we can jumpstart our research and development so that we can develop tests and vaccines and countermeasures and medicines, other things that could help us better prepare for or be able to control the spread or um, prevent the harm that uh, the pathogen could cause. And then also just think about how we want to live our lives and how we equip people to be able to do that as safely as possible. I want to pick up on the monkeypox just a little bit, if you don't mind here. One of the things about being a state health director is my email now gets full of different emails. So all of a sudden I'm getting conspiracy theorist emails about monkeypox, which I thought was odd, you know, because quite frankly, it was just born. And it's like the disinformation was already out before it was even something we were talking about. 
But what about monkeypox? I mean, should we prepare for monkeypox to spread more widely? I'd love to just chat a little about monkeypox. Sure. So I think that monkeypox probably caught a lot of people unaware. If you haven't been involved in the field of preparedness, you may not have heard of monkeypox prior to very recently. For those of us who have been involved in pandemic preparedness, monkeypox has been on the radar for many, many years um, because we know that it causes um, significant outbreaks in, in certain parts of the world. And we always watch to make sure those outbreaks don't spread beyond where they're occurring. We probably should have done more because unfortunately we now we are seeing spread of this virus outside of um, areas where it was previously considered to be endemic. I do think we need to be concerned about monkeypox. I don't think that it will reach the level of crisis that COVID-19, that the SARS-CoV-2 virus that causes the COVID-19 pandemic um, will cause. But nonetheless, it's not great to have yet another virus posing threats to people and, and putting burdens on our healthcare system. So we do, I think, have to develop plans for this virus, um, which seems to be spreading. Unlike COVID-19, it seems to require fairly close physical contact, which should make it a bit easier to control. But um, nonetheless, we have to make sure we have the resources in order to control it. And so part of that is educating people on what to look for. And if they have symptoms of monkeypox, to seek medical attention so that it can get tested and so that people who test positive can isolate for as long as they're thought to be contagious. And that will really help make sure that it doesn't grow and spread beyond uh, what we've already seen. Dr. Nuzo, let me ask you this. You are an expert in pandemics. I feel like as we look at monkeypox and we reflect upon SARS-CoV-2, cause of COVID, is it often that there's this introduction to the population? And I'm, I'm curious about your, your thoughts on this as, a, as an epidemiologist. How many times do you think in the world, you know, in the last 10 years, making that up, in the last, you know, few years, was there a potential pandemic starting? And I guess the question is, what was it about COVID that led to this out of control, too late to go back? I mean, we're still in this phase of monkeypox where we're trying to contain. We're still in this phase where we hope that monkeypox, frankly, will burn out in the population and will not become endemic, although there is that concern. And COVID, we've kind of given up, right? COVID is going to is endemic. But what is that point in your mind as an epidemiologist, as an expert in pandemics, where that point of no return? And how do you think about that? So I don't like to talk about points of no return because it implies that there's nothing that we can do. And there's still very much things that we can do for both monkeypox and COVID. But I think what you're ultimately asking is, can we drive down the number of cases we're seeing, um, drive it down to near zero or keep it very, very low? And whether or not we can do that depends on a few things. The first of which is the biology of the pathogen. So earlier I said that when we're talking about pandemic preparedness, we have to plan generally, knowing the thing, the categories of actions that we generally are called to take, but then also specifically tailoring our, our strategies to the particular um, virus or pathogen that we're trying to respond to. In the case of COVID-19, it's caused by a respiratory pathogen, and they are really, really tricky to stop, in part because when people get infected, they may not even know they're infected and they may spread it. If they do have any symptoms, they may be pretty nonspecific and they could spread it without knowing that they're spreading it. So that just makes a respiratory pathogens really, really hard to control. So for me, when I heard back in late January, early February 2020, that the SARS-CoV-2 virus that causes COVID-19 was a respiratory pathogen to which we didn't have any immunity and it was spreading between people fairly easily, that's when I knew it was going to be everywhere because 
respiratory viruses are really hard to stop. And there's other features to them that the, the time between generations of cases is pretty short, so it's hard to interrupt. Monkeypox is different, and we have advantages for monkeypox that we didn't have for the SARS-CoV-2 virus. The first one is that people um, are most contagious when they already have symptoms, and that just makes it a bit easier to try to stop it. The other thing is that we already had diagnostic tools, vaccines, and medicines that we could use to address it, which we didn't have for at least a year when it comes to vaccines anyway, in, in trying to stop the SARS-CoV-2 virus. So we have more tools. So we have certain advantages um, right now with dealing with monkeypox um, that will, I think, serve us quite well. The question is, can we do it fast enough? Can we make sure everybody that has symptoms um, can get tested so that they know they have it? Can we help support people that need to stay home if they do have it? If, unfortunately, people can be contagious for several weeks, possibly up to four weeks, and we know that it's not easy for people to stay home for that period of time. So there are still challenges ahead with monkeypox, but we are, I think, in a much better situation in terms of responding to this virus than we were at the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic. So we're talking to Dr. Jennifer Nuzzo from the Pandemic Center at the Brown School of Public Health. Dr. Nuzzo, the pandemic impacted so many aspects of people's lives. You know, it was, it was in our home, our schools, infected work. You know, a lot of people, quite frankly, felt grounded, like they were in trouble. They didn't do anything wrong. It was just the pandemic really got into our kitchen, as it were. I want to get back a little bit to what the Pandemic Center will be focused on. Is it just going to be focused on health outcomes, or do you see the pandemic center, the Brown School of Public Health working on other aspects as well. What are your thoughts there? So the philosophy I bring um, to creating the pandemic center is that um, pandemics are going to probably happen with some increasing frequency. And so we need to get ready for them. Uh, that when they do happen, they touch all of public health and they also touch all of society. So we really need interdisciplinary approaches to thinking about pandemics and figuring out what we should do about trying to stop them um, before they happen, but also when they happen um, to try to stop them so they don't cause as many harms to our societies as um, this last one clearly has. And so that's just something that I think we have to think about. Um, from the health perspective, uh, we care equally about people who have died of direct infection with the virus, as we do the people who perhaps had their diabetes untreated because of interruptions to healthcare, or um, people who had a heart attack that they probably could have survived if our hospitals were not overwhelmed. So we have to think about all of those health outcomes. And that's just one of the things I think we have to plan for is that pandemics, when they happen, really risk eroding important progress that we've made in so many other public health um, programs, and we have to be able to, to figure out how to protect all of these aspects of public health that we're working to protect um, and not just solely focus on the virus. Yeah, you know, it's pretty amazing. I was reflecting, it seems like in the last month, I mean, obviously we've had COVID, we've had avian flu, right? There's, you know, flocks of birds and animals being, you know, being called. Uh, there's a viral hepatitis thing among kids. Now we got monkeypox. It seems like in the last six months here, there's been a lot thrown at us. And I think to your point about part of being prepared is understanding the pathogen or the virus or the bacteria. How can we be prepared for something that we just, we just don't know, right? Monkeypox certainly came out of the blue. COVID also came out of the blue. How do we how do we prepare for something like a pandemic when we don't know what it's going to be? Yeah, so I think part of it is thinking about 
what actions are we going to have to take? And some of those actions are gonna be consistent no matter what pathogen it is. So if it's contagious and it's spreading between people, we know we'll have to figure out how to slow the spread, how to uh, make, give people tools so that they can live their lives as the pandemic is around them, but to do so more safely. Um, we know that hospitals are going to be affected and will need help in terms of um, making sure they have the personnel and the materials uh, to be able to treat patients and to do so safely. So some of those categories of things are going to be consistent, even if the precise tool that they need might be slightly different um, depending on the pathogen. We know that it'd be really nice if we had uh, diagnostic tools from the onset and to make sure that we have programs in place to be able to develop it once we learn about the specific biology of the pathogen. So I think if we focus on what actions we need to take, we'll see a remarkable amount of commonalities and we need to make sure that whatever we can do in advance, we do, but also that we have the systems in place to do it um, in real time as we learn that we need to do it. You know, I want to just shift back a little bit to the pandemic, a little bit about like personal preparedness. You know, one of the things about our generation right now, those who survived the pandemic is this is indelibly now part of our psyche. And it's one of those things where now, I think almost all of us talk about life before the pandemic, during the pandemic, and you know, now we're in the endemic state. But like, I really see now that everybody's been affected by the pandemic. Everyone's got an opinion about it, but they're all, everybody's been not only affected by it, but traumatized by it. So it's really a thing. How do you see the pandemic preparedness center at the Brown School of Public Health really helping people be prepared as an individual or even be prepared as a society? Any thoughts on that, Dr. Nuzzo? I do think the pandemic has touched all of us. And first of all, we have to acknowledge that some of us have had tremendous personal losses and, and traumas associated with this pandemic. And I think part of preparedness is understanding how exactly this virus has touched our lives and all of the harms that it's caused so that we can make sure next time around we're better able to mitigate those harms. So part of that is just trying to understand all of the profound ways in which uh, we've been touched uh, by this situation. But we also need to think about how we can better support ourselves next time because it's our hope that when the next pandemic pathogen emerges that we'll be able to stop it in its tracks before it goes on to cause an event like this. But also we need to figure out how we can respond in a way that isn't necessarily just shut down everything. I mean, that's a very difficult thing for society to, to bear. And frankly, we need to come up with, with additional options uh, on the table. Really, really important. Um, we need to make sure we understand what tools people need in order to protect themselves and how to make sure they are able to protect themselves. And I am so incredibly struck by data that shows how not all of us have had the same access to the tools we need to protect ourselves. Um, that's true in terms of um, making sure people have access to the healthcare they need, um, making sure they have access to the life-saving tools like masks and tests. And we have seen, I think, strong income related disparities and who's been able to access that. So we need to plan that. And, you know, frankly, probably one of the most important thing we're going to have to do whenever in any pandemic, regardless of the pathogen, is that when people are sick, they probably need to stay home. They, they're going to need to stay home until they're no longer sick or no longer contagious. And we know that not everybody has the same abilities to do that. Not everybody has paid sick leave. Not everybody has a safe place to isolate so that they don't infect family members. And we need to work not just at the individual level, equipping people with the tools they need, but at the social policy level that gives people the flexibility to be able to follow the sage public health advice that's given. 
Yeah, and I'm just reflecting on your statement about access to the tools that we need to address the pandemic. I mean, Dr. McDonald, do you remember the early days of the pandemic? Do you remember like no testing, no PPE? It all, yeah, it was masks. everything. Everything was can't at that point, right? But it was one of those things where that, and that brought out parts of our culture that I think a lot of us would rather forget. It was the toilet paper shortages that I think showed us mm-hmm. the darker side of us. You know, I have been talking to over the last two years, probably at this point, thousands of people about COVID and the vaccines and every manner of that. Lots of people have reached out to me. I've given talks to groups. And one thing I hear very frequently from people is, you know, we just don't know who to trust. I don't know who to get this information from. It's a really kind of sad statement that I hear. But I often ask people, well, do you think you could talk to your healthcare provider? Because that's often where people go to get inf- you know, information about what to 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 do to protect their health. And very frequently, the answer that I get when I ask that question is, I don't have one. So we really need, I think, to to look at at a societal level, um, how resilient we are and whether we have the policies that help people um, follow the advice we're giving them, that access the tools that we've created for them. And I think some of those tensions that we see in our society is partially due to unequal access to those tools. You know, one of the things you illustrate is not having a healthcare provider is an adverse or disadvantageous social determinant of health. You know, when I when I use the word social determinant of health, what I'm just saying is there's certain things in life that give people advantages to have good health and other things that give you disadvantages. If you have a healthcare provider and you get COVID, you can call your healthcare provider up and say, I tested positive, I'm high risk. Can I have a telehealth visit? You get Paxlovid right away. And the doctor or healthcare provider says, yes. And it happens and you get started on day one. That's an advantage. If on the other hand, you don't have a healthcare provider and you maybe don't even have health insurance. And now you're saying, you know, gosh, I need to go find, well, I don't know if I'm going to go look urgent care, ER. I don't know what to do. A lot of times people just take days to kind of make a decision and they're sick already. They don't feel good, which isn't the best time to make a decision. That's a disadvantageous social determinant of health. And that affects people's survival, right? In other words, that affects whether people are going to survive this uh, pandemic or not. And that really gets to one of those large issues that in order for us to survive as a pandemic, it's about infrastructure, uh, which I think is really important. And I think we should think about future pandemics. Is there is there one thing you just wish one person would say, gosh, if there's one thing you should know to prepare for a future pandemic, what's one thing everybody should know? And I guess that's that's an open-ended question there a little bit, but just curious, like, but yeah, on the spot there, one thing everybody should know about a future pandemic. That it's going to happen. And I say that not glibly. And I say that uh, because when these events happen, first of all, we can never see the virus. And But we spend a lot of time and we lose a lot of time arguing whether it's in our midst. Um, and part of that is just natural psychological phenomenon. Uh, apparently, people who have studied emergencies have found that um, the people who tend to survive are the ones that just like hit the ground running and they just they just act. Um, but a lot of people, unfortunately, uh, spend some time trying to explain it away and convince themselves that it's not actually happening. Um, I think we have to just recognize that emerging pathogens are going to continue to happen and they may pose pandemic level threats. And we need to prepare for them like we do other hazards that are somewhat frequently in our lives. You know, think about it in terms of of fires and how we can make ourselves uh, more resilient to fires or think about it in terms of, you know, big um, storms that we uh, are getting with an increasing frequency. And um, there are things that we can do to protect ourselves uh, from these and to make ourselves um, less vulnerable to these things. And I think we have to first commit and understand that they're 
going to happen with some rapidity and we need to plan for it and try to make sure we have uh, the systems and people and resources in place um, that will reduce our vulnerabilities to these repeated threats. All great points, Dr. Nuzzo. Let me ask you this, uh, being an expert in pandemics here, what are one or two things that you've observed that you've seen uh, with the COVID pandemic that you think are really lessons learned for the next time? Uh, what are things that we can do better, that we should do better, that we need to do better for the next time? There is so much. There is so much. I would say that obviously testing was an important lesson learned, and we need to make testing available in a way that serves the, the various needs that we have. Um, so not just you know to inform clinical decision-making, but also to uh, improve our surveillance and to be able to track the pathogen, but also to help people make decisions about whether it's safe to go to work or see relatives. So I think that's been one lesson learned. Obviously, I think some of our biggest challenges in this pandemic have been social and economical, You know that people who um, have not wanted to get tested because testing positive means they have to take off work and they just simply can't afford it. We need to be able to support people so that they don't have to choose between putting food on the table and following public health advice. Those I think are, are, are some of um, the biggest lessons learned. And I think that's the, the biggest challenges um, that we have to be able to work on. Um, but I would say probably the biggest, my top, top list is that uh, we need to make sure our country uh, has the infrastructure it needs to respond to these events with increasing frequency. And one of the, the very big lessons is that going into this, we had an infrastructure that wasn't adequate. We had public health departments that had been seeing budget cuts year after year after year that didn't have um, enough people to, to work on these issues that had to try to recruit people in the midst of a crisis. That's really not great. Um, and we need to staff our, our defense forces, which is our, our public health and healthcare infrastructure um, to be appropriately sized for the, the job at hand. You know, I uh, often think about it in terms of, you know, more visible threats like fires. And um, if after a fire occurs, we decide we're never going to have one again and we close all the firehouses, we're not going to be very well prepared when the next one happens. So we need to make sure we have all the resources that we need in order to um, respond to these events. And I really am so grateful to the heroic and tireless efforts of our medical and public health workforce who have been on the front lines for years dealing with not only this virus, but are now dealing with yet another one with monkeypox. It's just kind of unending um, challenges, um, but they have done so with extraordinary impact. Um, I just want to make sure that everyone has all of the tools they need um, to continue to do the job. We've been talking to Dr. Jennifer Nuzzo from the Pandemic Center at the Brown School of Public Health. Great conversation. And Dr. Nuzzo, one of the things you remind me of is that old saying, and sometimes old sayings are just old sayings, but an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure is an old saying, yet it's amazing to me how many people understand that as a phrase. However, when it comes to funding that ounce of prevention, oh my goodness, if we had one sixteenth of what direct patient care has, my fellow earth dwellers, you would not imagine how healthy you would be because uh, we're talking about, oh my gosh, that's a lot of resources to keep everybody healthy. But we're getting to the close of our episode. Our time is running out, which just went by really quickly. Dr. Chan, one of our traditions at Public Health Out Loud is to end with the final word from Dr. Chan. Dr. Chan, what's the final word for today's episode? Wonderful. Thank you, Dr. McDonald. Thank you, Dr. Nuzo, so much for joining us. We look forward to your work here in Rhode Island, and we'll almost certainly have you back, hopefully not in too near the future, to talk about the next pandemic. Uh, but thank you for joining us. Much appreciated. 
In closing, I do want to leave our listeners with a moment of Zen to consider throughout the rest of your day. And here it is, a quote from Mother Teresa, one of my favorites. I alone cannot change the world, but I can cast a stone across the water to create many ripples. Thank you all and be well. I want to thank Stephanie Menders, our executive producer, Carol Stone, our technical director. I'm Dr. Jim McDonald. Have a good and keep up the great. <laughs>